Hey everyone, I'm Phil, and welcome to It's Del Toro Time. It's one of our special Twitter-sodes. Now, the Twitter-sodes, for those of you who don't remember, are special mini-episodes that we're going to be using to sort of fill in the gaps uh, between episodes in the Ecstasy of Influence series. And these are all movies that Guillermo del Toro has recommended on Twitter, but that didn't make his Ecstasy of Influence list. And it's all based on a list that's being compiled on Letterboxd by Ben underscore McDonald, who has been just doing a great job of keeping up with every single movie that Guillermo del Toro has recommended on Twitter. He recommends a lot. He doesn't always go into a lot of detail as to why, but this episode is a movie that I am stunned didn't make the ecstasy of influence list. It is 1931's City Lights by Charlie Chaplin. Now, as those of you who know, we've already covered a Charlie Chaplin movie on this show. We covered uh, Modern Times, which was considered just his well, kind of his swan song to the tramp. And I can understand why Guillermo del Toro chose Modern Times to put on his his Ecstasy of Influence list. From watching it, it is obviously very influential as far as del Toro's themes of the dangers of mechanization, the dangers of people losing themselves in the, in the, the day-to-day grind of life and being separated from what makes us human. That's all very much uh, on par with what... Guillermo del Toro does in his movies, but there is an aspect to City Lights that on rewatching it for the first time in about 20 years, and now having watched all of Guillermo del Toro's works and read books about him, read about his process, read about his philosophies, City Lights is quintessential viewing for understanding the movies of Guillermo del Toro. I cannot, I'm not exaggerating when I say that you will develop a greater appreciation for the works of del Toro if you watch City Lights. I don't know if Guillermo del Toro himself would agree with this, but there is a quality to the film that runs throughout del Toro's work. It is almost like growing up listening to rock music from the 70s and then finally hearing R&B music from the 50s and being like, oh, I see where all this came from now. Oh, I see I see what you're doing. Except, of course, without the, you know, cultural appropriation and, and, and theft that, that went on with the, you know, movie music of the 70s stealing from the R&B of the 50s. That, that's, a whole other, that's a whole other podcast, and we're not talking about that today. Uh, what I, we are talking about is City Lights from 1931 by Charlie Chaplin. Now, what are these qualities that I find in City Lights that are just so clearly there in Guillermo del Toro's movies? Well, let's take a look at what City Lights is about. First of all, if you haven't seen it, well, if you haven't seen it, Stop this podcast right now, go out, buy the Criterion Edition, and watch it. It'll take you about an hour and a half to watch it, not to buy it. You may may have to go somewhere to do that or wait in the mail, but I'll wait. All right, have you watched it? Because this movie, Modern Times is brilliant. Modern Times is what I would call a brilliant film. City Lights is genius. It is a complete package. Roger Ebert, in his 1997 review of City Lights, where he was just talking about the great film, said that if you could, if only one Charlie Chaplin movie could exist, like if you had to get rid of all of Chaplin's films and only one was, and just left only one, City Lights is the movie to choose because it contains 
everything that defined Chaplin's work. Uh, the precision comedy, the bawdiness, the humor, the pathos, the sentimentality, the, the desire for connection, the, uh, the, the tramp character himself. Everything is there. Everything that represents the work of Charlie Chaplin, what you think of as the genius of Charlie Chaplin is right there, but it doesn't feel like a greatest hits. It doesn't feel like a compilation. It is a solid story. The story itself is very simple as... Well, I mean, I would I would say as most Chaplin films are, but I mean, modern times is really hard, kind of hard to explain. Uh, but this, the story for this one is very simple. If you haven't seen it, it is the tramp character uh, befriends two people, a drunken, suicidal millionaire and a blind flower girl. And he uses his friendship with the millionaire as a way to help the flower girl regain her eyesight through a through a, a surgeon in Vienna and... Uh, keep her family home. She lives with her grandmother and they're in danger of losing their house because they can't afford the rent. And the whole movie is just kind of him trying to figure out ways to get money out of the millionaire or to earn money himself so that he can help her. Um, the preciseness of Chaplin's direction is legendary. This movie took, I believe, over two and a half years to make, uh, but it, it was, I believe they said that filming encompassed about 180 days. If you don't know anything about filmmaking, that's a lot of days for an hour and a half long movie. I think like 36 times more footage was shot than was used, and uh, it shows, uh, but it's not the preciseness and the exactness of the action, uh, but the raw humanity at the core that makes everything work. And that's what the genius of Chaplin is. That's part of the genius of Del Toro. They're both exacting artists. They're, they, they know how to, A, surround themselves with other brilliant artists. They know how to direct those artists so that all their work comes together and seems like a singular vision. They know how to keep things running, I won't say smoothly, but precisely. And then they understand that the, all those disparate elements, the preciseness, the direction, uh, the design work, the sound, the music, is only half of what you need to make the film work. And the other half, the solid half of all this, is the heart, is the humanity, is the understanding at, its, at, at the core of it, is, is tapping into what makes people really people and that that can apply to to a movie that's primarily uh you know action that can uh, apply to a movie that is primarily horror you can have the most precision action sequences but if the if there's not people behind them it doesn't matter you can have the most brilliantly choreographed horror sequences and if and if there's not people on screen doing the action uh, real people it doesn't matter you're not going to care about them or you may have an entertaining viewing, but you're not going to be left with much besides, wow, I just saw something cool. And Chaplin got that, and Del Toro gets that. Uh, Chaplin understands, or understood, that uh, every successful protagonist uh, needs to have a core of, of goodness in their heart that that even if you have a, a character like the Tramp, who is seemingly, who is isolated and an outsider and has no friends, no family, uh, that it's the striving for connection and the, and the an equality where he will give and do anything to help people 
that draw that that is a, that is one of the most satisfying ways to drive a story. Uh, not acting for himself entirely, but acting for people he barely even knows. The first one of the first things you see the tramp do is stop the millionaire uh, from killing himself. It's a hilarious, uh, strangely enough, a very funny sequence uh, where they both end up in the water. But it's how the the millionaire meets Chaplin. The first thing Chaplin does is, or the tramp does, is is stop a man from committing suicide and. Uh, the comedy in their relationship comes from the fact that the millionaire only remembers Chaplin and only recognizes him when he's drunk. As soon as he sobers him up, he throws him out of his mansion. Uh, the, 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 the pathos behind Chaplin's relationship with the flower girl comes from the fact that she doesn't know he is a tramp. She doesn't know that he is homeless. She doesn't know that he is uh, dressed in rags. She only knows that he is good and... He is fine with that because she only sees him for who he is, which is a good person. Um, so you have all these you have all these elements coming together. Uh, and bear in mind, also amazing comedy sequences. <laughs> but you have this the idea of uh, this. Well, I will say it: this Guillermo del Toro esque protagonist, this perpetual outsider who is striving to do good. And of course, I'm thinking of of del Toro protagonists, uh, not only like Hellboy, who is one of the obvious choices, not only when you have like these sort of uh, these mime uh, type characters that del Toro loves, like Abe Sapien and uh, and the the amphibian man from uh, The Shape of Water. but any of his protagonists are these people who sort of operate on the fringes and have at their in their soul a core of goodness. Uh, uh, they will look past their own needs at times to help others. Uh, but the the tramp is also such an amazing character because he's unaware of his own limitations. Uh, he knows that he is at the bottom of the of the social ladder, but he never that he never lets that stop him from trying to do what he needs to do. He's also uh, unembarrassed by his station when it comes to what he's trying to he's he's self-conscious when it comes to the way the flower girl sees him but he moves past any potential embarrassment because he's at the bottom of the ladder so there's not a whole lot you can do to embarrass him at this point uh, but he is hyper aware of others being embarrassed and you'll notice that a lot of the comedy of the tramp comes from him trying to keep other people from feeling bad about what's happening he keeps trying to cover things up or help people or stop things from happening before it upsets someone else and not for his own benefit but just so other people won't be inconvenienced and uh and a good outsider character, and Del Toro's able to do this, and Chaplin was brilliant at doing this, is a is an outsider who can be a good person without ever seeming like they're a martyr, uh, without ever seeming woe is me, put upon, uh, or that they're doing it just to show everyone how much they can accomplish even without a penny to their name. The, the tramp was never that. He was just a solid, upstanding guy. But he's also not unrealistic. He he likes to smoke. He likes to drink. He gets drunk all throughout this movie, albeit accidentally at times. But that never stops him from trying to do good. Um, and, and above all else, uh, one thing that you can see Del Toro gleaning from Chaplin is that Everything has to come honestly. Chaplin said that he was a dancer, that all of his movies were dances. And you can tell they are tight. They are choreographed. Uh, the people move throughout the scenes. Not just Chaplin, by the way. When I said that Chaplin surrounded himself with geniuses, so many of the actors in this movie, with the exception of uh, Virginia uh, Cheryl, who played the ingenue, who played the, who played the flower girl, so many of the, char- of the actors in this were Chaplin regulars who were comedic geniuses in their own right. And you can watch these 
insanely complicated choreographed sequences. I'm thinking of there's a scene in a dance hall where uh, Chaplin and the millionaire and a couple of the customers keep there's a there's one fewer chairs than there are people and they keep trying to arrange the chairs so they all have a seat and of course one person's always left one person's always on the ground and you watch this sequence go and you're like dang like this is this is tight like these people know what they're doing they know how to play comedy I believe the millionaire uh, was played by Harry Myers who I think he was one of the I think he was one of the Keystone cops if I'm not mistaken if I am mistaken. No, uh, there's a boxer character. He was one of the Keystone cops. Like, these are people with a history of physical comedy, and you can tell. And the one thing that Chaplin insisted, and one of the reasons it took so long to get this movie finished, was that he demanded uh, heart and realism and acting from them. However, the final scene of this movie, and even though you, I know it's coming, even though on watching it again, I was like, oh, I remember how this ends. Tears, like just tears. Like, you just sobbing at the end of this movie because it catches you so off guard. Uh, Chaplin wrote the final scene first. That was kind of like, he was like, I'm going to start with this scene, work my way back. It's all building up to this scene. And he said, if I can nail this scene, I will have succeeded in this movie. This movie will be a success. And I think it's telling that this movie remained to his dying day, his favorite movie of all of his. And that he said that final scene blows him away because he said it's the only time he stopped acting and what you're seeing on screen is is legit and real. I don't even try to explain it. If you haven't seen City Lights, go watch City Lights. If you have, you know the scene. You know how the movie ends. You know it's a tearjerker. You know it's one of the most amazing moments in film history, that it got standing ovations, that it just floored people around the world. And that is what City Lights is. It is... It is and it's why I can see it in all of Guillermo del Toro's movies. It is precision filmmaking. It is tight, economical, but it is also so heartfelt. It is about real people. It is about real characters. It is about real things that affect audience members, and it has real stakes. It's not just a bunch of comedy sequences. It's not just trying to get from point A to point B. It is a man trying to save the eyesight and the life of another human being. Everyone's amazing in it. Uh, the only the only criticisms I have are that maybe Virginia Cheryl's character, uh, the, the blind flower girl, uh, she's a little bit of a wallflower, no pun intended. She doesn't get to do a whole lot. You know, he wouldn't have a uh, an ingenue uh, lead uh, until well, modern times who could sort of stand toe-to-toe with him and match him scene for scene. Uh, Virginia Cheryl was fired <laughs> from the movie at one point and hired back uh, because uh, she and Chaplin hated each other. They didn't get along uh, all through her life. She was like, nope. Chaplin didn't like me. I didn't like Chaplin. And Chaplin, to his credit in later life, blamed himself for this. He had very little patience for her. It was her first movie. He cast her. They were they were acquaintances before then. Uh, she wasn't an actor, really. And uh, she was the only person who could convincingly play blind on screen That out of all the auditions he did. And uh, it, it shows. Like, she's good. Like, she's good at what she does. Uh, it's just the, the character is a little underwritten. She doesn't get any comedy. Uh, she's kind of there to be there, but she's believable. Uh, but nothing is extraneous. You know, uh, Modern Times had some great, hilarious, has some great and hilarious, famous sequences, but they can feel a little disconnected from the main plot. Like, they're there to illustrate his theme, but the movie kind of stops dead a few times to let this funny stuff happen. And it's funny, so you laugh and you're entertained. Uh, but that never happens in City Lights. Like everything, even these minor scenes. There's a scene where he gets a, he gets a job as a street sweeper, and it's just this brilliant little moment where 
he's trying he's cleaning up the streets and obviously there's like horse droppings because there's still horses and he he's following uh, the, the 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 mess along the street and he suddenly sees a horse go by and then a bunch of other horses go by and so he turns around and heads back up the street and then he's passed by an elephant and it's this wonderful little moment you know you know what's going on it's not extraneous though it illustrates that the tramp is willing to just do anything for this other person uh he gets he gets uh hired to to be in a boxing match uh he's supposed it's a it's a it's a setup he's supposed to uh throw the match and split the winnings with the other boxer but the other boxer has to cut town really quick and so an actual boxer fills in there's this whole extended boxing sequence that never feels extraneous because it is there to illustrate how dedicated he is to his goal and you watch it on his face you, you watch him go through all this struggle uh but always remember uh, the goal at hand uh so at the end of the day uh city lights is a a genius film by a genius filmmaker and you need to see it you need to own it again it's available on the criterion from the criterion collection by the criterion collection it's available on dvd or blu-ray it's got uh, amazing commentary track it's got some wonderful uh documentaries uh, essays as as always it's it, the, the the image has been cleaned up it is beautiful the sound is beautiful the sound by the way this movie is a silent film Kind of, because Chaplin wrote an entire film score for it, and the score is very important uh, to the movie. It contains sound effects and hilarious like sound gags that the movie wouldn't make sense without them. So it is a sound film. It's just a dialogue-free film, and then there there's inner titles for the dialogue. Not a whole lot of dialogue, because it is still very much a... in the silent style, but the the music is is a vital part of what is happening uh, on screen. It just, it works so well. Everything about this movie just works, just works so well. I highly recommend it. Uh, City Lights, 1931. I believe what uh, what Del, all Del Toro had to say about it was that it was a, pre- a precision filmmaking, precision uh, choreography, precision movement, and he said it was one of the top three movies of all time. So why didn't you include it on the Ecstasy of Influence? Guillermo del Toro? I don't know. That's not my decision to make, though. Go see it. City Lights. Charlie Chaplin. You won't be disappointed. I'm Phil, and we'll see you next time for an actual episode of It's Del Toro Time.